As is abundantly clear and has been mentioned, we are now in that season of Advent, that season of anticipation and the coming of Christ. And we are starting a new sermon series this morning. I'll explain what the thread is that's going to connect everything, hopefully, in the message. But let me introduce it at least with that idea of the song of Advent we introduced. Meditating on that idea of God with us. And what it means for Jesus to be our Emmanuel. The other little qualifier I want to give before we go to our text is the passage we're going to read jumps us right in the middle of a story. And it may be confusing at the moment what's going on, and I will set the context also in the message for where we are and, and where we are picking up in this story. Suffice it to say, we are in the book of Exodus, and we are talking about that journey that the Israelites are going to be on. And where we pick up the story is in Exodus chapter 33. And we will be focusing our attention on verses 12 through 23 this morning on your pew Bibles. If you haven't found it, it's on page 87. Otherwise, the words are on the screen behind me. Again, from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he, the Lord, said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he, Moses, said to the Lord, If your people will not, I'm sorry, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, the Lord said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we have already heard and said in many ways, 
The season of Advent begins in darkness. That's why we light the candles to represent, to symbolize the growing light that Jesus brings into the world. But before that light comes, we are in the dark. Darkness caused by our sin and rebellion against God. And when you think about it on a very practical level, we don't like darkness. When it's dark, you can't see well where you are going. You're unaware of what obstacles might be in your way. I was in this room late last night with my daughter Delia, and she couldn't stand for a while. The darkness, the flashlight had to come out because you can't see exactly where you're going. And in a lot of ways, that's what life in the darkness is like. When we have this life, we ask all of these really big questions. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? How do I, with wisdom, handle all of the trials and the struggles that come my way? Where am I going and how do I know if I get here? In the end, when I look at my life, how will I know if I lived a good life or if I wasted the days that I have? And as Christians, we, we can even become a little bit more pointed in that question. God, we love you. We want to serve you. We want to do what your will is. Just tell me what it is, and I'll do it. And that's the darkness that we often wander through this life with. And yet, with these questions, we remember that Jesus, in the Advent season, came to bring light. To open our eyes to where he wants us to go and how he wants us to live. Well, that gets us into our text from Exodus chapter 30. As I said, we're jumping in the middle of the story where the people of Israel, God's chosen people, are literally on a journey. After more than 400 years of enslavement to the Egyptians, God, through the miraculous ten plagues, has forced the hand of Pharaoh and he has let them go out of slavery. And having walked away from slavery, it's not what they're just leaving behind, but it's where they are going to. They are now on a journey to this promised land that they have heard of. This land that their forefather Abraham was told many hundreds of years earlier, this will be a place where your descendants will live, where they will worship me, and where we will journey through this life together. Now, we would think, that after all these Israelites had seen and experienced through those ten plagues, through the crossing of the Red Sea, through the presence of God with the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day, that trusting and following God would be easy. And yet this journey, in a lot of ways, was a journey in the dark. They were in the dark about where they were going exactly. They couldn't pull up maps and say, well, this is where we're headed and, and this is where we are right now. This is the path that we are going to trial, uh, that we're going to travel. All the times the children asked, are we there yet? And the parents had to say, I don't know, because I don't know exactly where it is that we are going. 
This is a journey in the dark because they're journeying through the wilderness. They haven't got much food with them. And so where is that food going to come from? And where are the places where this whole nation of people will be able to find fresh water to drink? They're just told, trust Moses. He is talking with God, and as long as we follow him every day, then we will get to where we are going. Well, that trust gets especially hard when Moses disappears. They've gone in their journey so far to Mount Sinai. God, in a miraculous display of his presence, appears in a great cloud above the mountain and invites Moses up to him where he can be instructed in how to lead his people. But that was more than a month ago. And now Moses hasn't been seen from or heard from in more than a month, and the people are starting to get impatient, and they're asking big questions. Is Moses ever going to come back? Does anybody know if anything happened to him? How long is this going to take? How long do we wait? Does he really know what he's doing? And with those questions looming around them and wanting something a little bit more tangible, something more visible, something present that they can at least hold on to, In Exodus 32, the chapter obviously before the one that we read, we find out that the people decided to make for themselves a god in the form of a golden calf. They fall back to the things that they had seen in Egypt because they wanted a god that was among them that they could see and visualize. And Aaron takes, uh, Aaron the brother of Moses, he takes a bunch of their gold jewelry, he forms them into an idol, and he proclaims to the Israelites, here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now while idolatry in this kind of literal form is not often something that we really are tempted toward, making an image, I think we can at least be a bit sympathetic by the, the desire that motivated them. As we all know, it can be hard to follow an invisible God. Well, even while we might be slightly sympathetic to the motivation, it's extremely clear that this is a great sin. And they knew it. This was the second commandment they, they had just received. That you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven and earth and pretend like it is your God. And they had clearly and brazenly violated that commandment. After all that God had done for them, all of all of the things that they had seen, they still turn their back on him and start to do things their own way rather than his. And in that sin, there are obvious consequences. God is angered. Thousands get killed. The calf is destroyed, ground up, and added to their drinking water, and they consume it. But that wasn't the worst of the consequences. The beginning of chapter 33, God says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God says, it's time to keep going on the journey, but I can't do it with you. If you're going to rebel against me, my greatness, my power is so great that as you turn your back on me, you won't make it because you will be consumed. I will be consumed with anger. And it's not because God was pouting or because he was petty. It was because he was holy. And that's the great issue of sin. We can't be in the presence of a holy God when we ourselves are covered, are tainted by sin. And so it's into that conflict, into that struggle, into that huge question of can we continue on this journey without God going with us that we enter into the story and picked it up in verse 12 of chapter 33. Moses is scared to death by the idea that they are going to be sent to go, but God will not be with them. That he would be left completely in the dark, lost without the guidance of God. They knows that this is what they deserve and have earned in their rebellion, but he also knows they can't do it by themselves. And on his own behalf and on behalf of the people, Moses acts as a mediator between them and God and pleads with him, asking at least three things that we see in our text. The first request he asks is found in verse 13. If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. On this great journey, we know that the people need food and drink, that they need guidance, but the greatest thing that they needed was God among them. And Moses is well aware that there is no possible way that he, in his own wisdom, is going to be able to lead these people to where they are supposed to be going. And so in the essence of his question, he is begging the Lord, Lord, I need to know your ways. I need your direction. I need your presence if I am going to, if we are going to be able to take this great journey. I need your help leading these people. I cannot do it alone. And to this request, God replies in verse 14, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. What a word of comfort that is. God says, yes, I will go with you. But that you is singular with you, Moses. And I'm not going to leave you alone. Which leads Moses to his second request. If, if God will guide him, then based on the promises that God had made to the whole nation, Moses, please, the second thing, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And again, it's a similar plea, but now it's a broader plea saying that if you're not going to lead us, don't send us in a direction. Your presence is the only thing that makes us who we are. As a nation, we often define ourselves by the land we occupy, by the culture we share, by the leaders and the political systems that we have set up. Well, Israel at this time had no land. They had no king. They had no history, no wealth to draw on. All that they had, all that made them distinct was God's presence. 
So Moses is saying, we're nothing if you don't go with us. And again, to that plea in verse 17, God responds by saying, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And having gotten a positive response to his first two pleas, Moses then gets to what I would believe and say is the essence of what he really wanted and desired from God. In the face of the brokenness of the people that he is called to leave, he desperately asks and wants in verse 18, please show me your glory. It's a bold request. But again, I think it's one that we can understand him wanting. And in some ways, it mirrors the very same desire that the Israelites had. God, in being an invisible God, reveal yourself to me with as much clarity as possible. And if I know you, then I will know your ways. Then I will trust you. Then I will be able to follow you exactly as you are leading. So please, O oh Lord, show me as you are. It's the prayer of any deep follower and believer. Although, where the Israelites were willing to say, if you don't show me, I will create you in my image. Moses says, I want to know you as you are. Reveal your true self to me. But this time, God's answer to his request is mixed. It's a yes and a no. On the no side, it says in verse 20, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now we have to take a quick pause here and briefly explain, God is not human. He doesn't have a literal face or a back or, or body parts. The language being used here is anthropomorphic language, language that ascribes human traits to a non-human being. And so God is condescending in some ways, and fundamentally the request to see the face of God is to see God in the fullness of his glory. But that's where God says, Moses, as a human being, you couldn't stand to see the fullness of my glory. You've gotten glimpses of it in the past, in the cloud, in the fire, in the voices from heaven. But to see me as I truly am is impossible. Because again, God is so holy that were we to ever see the glimpse of the fullness of his glory, God says, Moses, you as a human being would literally die because I am so great. That's a, there's a reason why we serve an invisible God. His greatness cannot be captured. His greatness cannot be seen. However, again, in his grace... To answer Moses' concerns and to sustain him in this trial, God does say that he will allow Moses to get a deeper glimpse of his glory. Verse 19, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, the Lord 
Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you on a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And sure enough, right after this promise, God calls Moses to come to him. He says, bring two new tablets, having destroyed the previous one in his anger for what was taking place in the, uh, in the camp with the golden calf. God says, bring me back two new tablets and I will again reveal my word to you. Furthermore, God does reveal himself in a very tangible way. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7, it describes how God passes by Moses and he reveals himself as the God who is gracious and loving, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And ultimately, this promise is fulfilled as God was merciful and patient with his people. That throughout this journey, though very often there would be times when they disregarded God's direction, God's command, and a clear guiding of his hand, God never left them. But he was faithful. But when you think about God revealing himself to Moses, what an experience. What an answer to prayer. As he was called to be their leader to the stiff-necked, wandering people, God sustains Moses by revealing himself in a very tangible way. God was with Moses on that mountain. And with God's presence being there, Moses knew he hadn't been abandoned and that God would guide him until the journey was over. Now, what does that have to do with Christmas? And why are we reading this for Advent? Well, first of all, let's go back to that common experience and that feeling that we have been given this life. We know that there's a purpose for this life, that we are on a journey. However, it can feel that that journey is in the dark. Where am I going, God? And how do I get there? And as we ask those questions, how prone are we to start wandering off in our own directions? Like the Israelites, how prone are we to start to, to create a God in our own image? Maybe we don't form idols, but we want a God that we can understand, a God we like to worship and walk with. And so instead of the way that he's revealed himself, we just take the things we like, piece it together, and that's the God that we are going to worship. We can too have that desire to just see more of God, to know him fuller, and to get those precious glimpses of his glory. And the hunger for those glimpses often touch our lives when they are the hardest. And into those desires and struggles, once again, Advent reveals that Jesus comes to bring light and direction. In John 14, a text that we're going to look at more closely in a few weeks, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's preparing his disciples and they too are scared. Scared that he's leaving them and that they're going to be lost for what they do next. And when Jesus tells them that they know the way to, to, the, they know the way to where he is going, Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? 
Jesus gives an answer, and then Philip asks the question, very similar to Moses, this request, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And to this, Jesus replies, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's the miracle. That's the thought that I want to meditate on this Advent season. That in seeing Jesus, we are seeing God incarnate, God in the flesh, dwelling among us, living among us, experiencing life as we experience. That word Emmanuel means God with us. And in being present among us, he has blessed us in so many ways. And today, I want to focus on how he blesses us with direction in life. That as much as it was a blessing to Moses to experience the presence of God and how comforting that was, oh wait, okay, I will be led and we will be led. How much more have we received in seeing the person of Christ? That as he taught, he taught us how we are to live in this world. What God sees as important and what we ought to see as important. Furthermore, in his life, he showed, he modeled what a life fully devoted to obedience to God in every step of the way looked like. And as we follow the example that he set, we learn how we ought to live our lives. And what was the model he set? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's the other thing that Jesus did. He taught us, he showed us, and then he went to the cross on our behalf. Repairing that damage that had been caused by our sin and separating us from a holy God and making it possible to know him more fully and to be assured that there is a promised land, eternal salvation that has been given to those that believe in Christ. And then when he does ascend to heaven, finally he left his spirit with us. God not just with us, but in us. Convicting us of sin, guiding us. And that is one of the key words and the responsibilities of the spirit, to be our guide. Now for sure, there's not going to be a text in scripture that tells our college students, this is the, co- I mean, I'm sorry, our high school students, this is the college that you need to go to. There's not a a revelation often for college students to say, this is the career you ought to be entering into. We're not going to find a text that tells us when it's the right time to have children or how to handle the trials and struggles that come our way. But when we look to Jesus, we see God. And when we see God and we follow the life that Jesus has called us to walk, we will be guided through the broad principles of life. And then the important details will be filled in. We're going to continue to develop this theme of God with us in the person of work of Jesus and what that means. But for this morning, again, we celebrate the coming of Christ in the direction that he gives us. Despite the sins that we've committed, God has not abandoned us. 
And as just as God revealed his presence on his, and his ways to Moses on Mount Sinai, encouraging him in that ongoing journey toward the promised land, we can celebrate the fact that Jesus has become our guide through this life. And that being present among us, we've seen the Father. And the more we see Jesus, the more we see God. And ultimately, as we seek to follow him, what a gift. What an answer to prayer. Thanks be to God that we're not left to just aimlessly wander through this life. But Jesus, our guide, says, I am with you. Now follow me. With that as our prayer, let's bow our heads. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we grieve over the darkness of this world, the darkness that we have caused because of our own rebellion. Where even where you have been clear in your word, we, in our rebellion, have decided to go different ways, to reject your guidance, to reject your word. And so often, Lord, that has led us into just more complications and problems. Which is why we praise you for revealing yourself. By revealing yourself as you did to Moses through your word and through your presence in Christ. Father, may we truly follow after him. May everywhere we walk and go be guided by your step. Bring light to our lives as we seek to serve you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.